Good to be with you all this morning. It is so good to hear those children. Isn't it neat to see young people get excited about reciting the Word of God? We want that to always be the case. And I might challenge you, we had about 25 um, young people, various ages, uh, at Camp Hope last weekend up in northern Georgia in, in what I think of as Joynerville, because it's just down the road from the Joyners, um, up in Dahlonega. And I challenge those, the adults that were there, that, uh, and, and by the grace of God, I'm holding to it so far, that for the next 30 days, to pray for each of those children by name. Now, this is the first name. God knows who they are. Maybe that's a challenge that you might want to undertake here. 30 days, just every day to remember them and go through that. You've got a good number of... Wouldn't you like your name being brought before the throne of God and the throne of grace? If you want to bring mine before it too, that's great. I'm good with that. Don't ever hesitate. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, I moved over here to Boca Raton in May, May 4th. And I thought I would be maybe here a lot on weekends and Wednesday nights. And it hasn't quite worked out that way. And Malcolm and I have had some talks about it. So, but... But I'm serving the Lord, and um, and I've been away. I've been been traveling, and uh, hopefully being useful to the Lord too. So uh, while I miss being with you all, and I'm so thankful we're together for this week, and uh, I want to look at the life of Moses. Most of us pretty familiar with Moses, right? Uh, in fact, you could go probably almost anywhere in the world, but certainly in the Middle East, even in Islamic countries, and you don't even need to know Moses' last name. <laughs> All you got to know is his name, Moses, and he's well known. Uh, to the same degree, maybe as Abraham is well known. It's kind of interesting because <laughs> they lived so many years ago, and we kind of think, you know, Harry, we're in 2021. And yet those names, those I wonder if Moses would have ever thought that. Would you ever think that about your name? I mean, if he lived in, he was born in a little over, just past 1500 B.C., so 3,500 years. You think they're going to remember your name in 3,500 years in big section of the world? But it's interesting how God called Moses to himself and then used him for good in his generation, to a degree that, well, I'm sure it went beyond anything Moses ever thought of. And I want to submit to all of us, I'm, I'm using the title, Enamored with God. And you say, whoa, that's a strong word. We don't use that word, enamored, too often. But the reason I picked that word, instead of just Loving the Lord, which enamor has that concept, but it has a concept of a love that where you're, you're charmed by it. A love that you're charmed by. We don't meet too many people in, a, in our lifetime where we encounter that. But I want to submit to you this. Moses didn't know the Lord when he was younger. But as he began, and there's, there's a journey for Moses. It was a gradual journey in closeness to God. We're going to try to work through that in our times together. And it's a picture, I think, of our own journey. If you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a journey also that hopefully is bringing you closer to God. 
through your life circumstances, through being in the Word of God, through your service at the local assembly and in your community. And, and I just want to submit this to you. Now, I can say this by experience. I'm thankful I can say it. Maybe not all of us can, but I can say by experience, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. I was an adventure seeker before I was saved. I mean, you know, and a lot of times, by the grace of God, I mean, I was right on the edge of where I could have been killed many times because of, you know, it wasn't enough just to ski on the blue. I had to go to the, the double black diamond slopes and things like that. Always on the edge, always trying to go fast or whatever. And there is a certain thrill to the adventure, right, Billy? I mean, we can, we can admit that, you know, sometimes, but there's nothing like the adventure of drawing near to the living God, the one who created you, the one who's responsible for your next heartbeat. You ever think about him that way? Your next breath, your next heartbeat? We take for granted, oh, of course it's going to be. It better. Or I'm going to be down there on that floor, right? And he wants to know you. That's what's staggering to me. You want to know me? I could see you wanting to know a lot of, especially these young people, you know, they were lovely young people. But you want to know me? And he says, yeah, I want to know each one of you individually. I want to know you. And I'm going to draw you near to me. And as we learn more about the Lord himself you become enamored with him you become charmed when you, you, you say you are awesome Lord you are amazing show me more of yourself I don't mean necessarily miracles he can do that by the way he is a miracle working God still amen, amen. yesterday today and forever still the same and he does. And, and let's be careful to give him credit for it too. Amen. <laughs> let's be careful to give him credit. Let's not go to the other, such an extreme as saying, well, you know, he's, he's up there, you know, almost like a deist and he's not even involved in his creation. He's very involved in his creation still. Even though we don't live in the days of Moses. Moses is an interesting individual. How would you like it forever? To be responsible for writing the first five books of God's self-revelation. The word of God. The Bible. Wow. Not just one. That would have been amazing in itself. Five of them. Going and, and being the one that wrote about all the way back to creation. Now he wasn't there. And we don't know exactly how he did that. Some believe that there were written sources that were carried on from the days of Adam and, and Enoch and Noah and maybe. The Bible doesn't say that, so we, we can't be dogmatic. God could have just enabled him by supernatural miracle, couldn't he? He could have just told him and Moses recorded it. We don't know. And it's probably wise not to speculate. Because in a sense it doesn't matter. But still, I'm, all I'm saying, the privilege. <laughs> so how did Moses start out? Well, if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 2, most of you are familiar with the story, right? Even even from Sunday school, the children's Sunday school, if we could have had the children in here, they could have recited the story to us, right? 
You know, the baby put in the ark of bulrushes into the river Nile and, well, let's read it. It's only, it's only ten verses. You know, it's amazing to me. Uh, some of these Hollywood productions, you know, the Ten Commandments was the big one in 1957, I think it was, that it came out. Charlton Heston and all that playing Moses. And to me, it was fascinating that uh, you've got these ten verses here and they cover some of this material. But they spend probably an hour of a three and a half hour movie covering material that's not in the Bible. Isn't that just like Hollywood to make up a bunch of stuff to kind of make in their mind maybe the story more interesting to you? I'm more interested in what the Word of God has to say. How about you? (laughs) But it is interesting how the Lord puts this together. Verse 1, Exodus 2. Exodus. How long has it been since you've been in the book of Exodus? Way back in the beginning of the Bible, right? Chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife... A daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, right away, hopefully you would say, beautiful child. What does that mean? You would look that word up. Does that mean he had particularly nice features? Is that what God, was God put favoritism on things like that? No. So it must mean something else. That word, the Hebrew word, has a broad range of meaning like a lot of Hebrew words do. And it has a sense of maybe she recognized there was something about his birth and the timing of it. Maybe she had been praying for Messiah. Because remember, we didn't read it, but chapter 1, you know, they were in slavery. Cruel. Bondage. That story is recorded for it. And, and they were building these buildings for Pharaoh as slaves, you know, out of mud bricks. And it was, it was, it, it's, if you've ever done that, it's real hard labor. And they were being whipped and so forth when they didn't, you know, it was, there was no respect for human life going on with all of that. They were totally in a place of disrespect disregard and then on top of that pharaoh's concerned that the population the lord is giving these women of israel ability to conceive in a mighty way and then their population the nation's growing so pharaoh's concerned about that what if they do an uprising they might topple my leadership just like men think right politicians still want to be in control today and they want to have their little territory and their fiefdom man hasn't changed and so he gives an order that the male children, because that's the ones he's concerned about in an army uprising, be cast in the river, be killed. And so she's not going to do that. Hmm. So you see kind of where she is? I think she's thinking deliverer. And I think that's what this word is used again in the reference to this in Hebrews chapter 11, hundreds of years, thousands of years later, when that reference, we'll look at that in a minute. So she hid him. But when she could no longer hide him, she came up with this idea. She's trying to preserve him alive. Why? That's what we want to ask, right? She sees that he's a beautiful child. That is, she that she senses he has a calling from God. Now, my parents were not believers 
you know, until way late in life, after I got saved. But wouldn't it be neat, wouldn't it be wonderful, if before you were born, and that may be true in some of your households, that you were praying for that child while it was still in the womb and saying, Lord, I want you to use this child, male or female, for your glory. And, I, you know, Lord, and I'm going to pray with a sense of expectancy that you can do this, right? Because each one of you, each individual in this room is special to God. You have a special calling. You may respond to it. You may not. That's up to you. But you have a calling from God to come to Christ Jesus as your personal Savior. He's calling you right now, today, through the Word of God, through the Gospel. And then you'll have a calling to service that follows that from God Himself. You'll discover you've been given a spiritual gift, at least one, if you're a child of God, and that he has an area of service for you that has been custom-made for you. Isn't that awesome? That's how big our God is. Well, Jochebed understood that, see. She was a believer. So she, this Ark of Bulrushes, it's a fascinating story. And then Miriam, in verse 4, his sister, stood afar off to know what would be happen after they put the ark in the water. And it just so happened. <laughs> Another one of those coinkydinkies, coincidences. <laughs> That's what we used to call them when we were kids. Uh, probably a Houston thing. Didn't, it didn't seem to attach anybody here. But <laughs> The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. This was her custom. And her maidens walked along the river. When she saw the ark among them, she just happened to be there at the right time. She saw the ark, and her maid went to get it. She opened it. She saw the child, and behold, another coincidence. Maybe not so much a coincidence if you've got young children. The baby wept. God knew how to reach this woman's heart, right? Now, sadly, we live in a day that there are women that will still kill a baby even if they hear a baby weeping, right? That's, I know, we're supposed to be civilized. They were uncivilized in that day. We're supposed to be civilized, right? I think it's the other way around. But she's touched. So she had compassion on him. But she does acknowledge this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, she's got a decision to make. Because as a male Hebrew child, guess where it's supposed to go? Into the river to drown. But she doesn't do that. And her own dad, the Pharaoh, is the one that made the rule. (laughs) So now, Jochebed's risked her life. Miriam, to some extent, his older sister, is risking her life. And now, Pharaoh's daughter is risking her life for this child. What's so special about this child? (laughs) What's so special about any child? Amen? Just everyone special. Everyone special to God. And then, (laughs) I love this. I'm I'm calling this divine superintendence, these first ten verses. You see the, the, the Lord superintending all of this from heaven, right? 
All these supposed coincidences coming together. So Miriam, she's watching from the river, remember? So she goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, Shall I go and get a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And who do you think she's going to recommend to be Moses' nurse? His mama. (laughs) Perfect, right? Perfect. And not only that, Pharaoh's daughter says, go. And the maiden went and called the child's uh, mother. So Pharaoh's daughter says to Jochebed, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. Oh. So now she's going to get money for doing something you wouldn't have to pay Jochebed to do. She's happy to do this because she knows this is a beautiful child. She knows this is possibly the Messiah. That is not the Lord Jesus Messiah, but small case deliverer, right? Like the judges were saviors, were deliverers and later on in their history. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she became her son. So she called his name Moses. Guess who named <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. Not his own mom because I drew him out of the water. And then you go to verse 11 and you've just jumped how, how far? 40 years. Now this, this is where the movie spent, you know, an hour or so time in the, in the area where God is silent. But imagine what Moses, you talk about a pedigree. Now, you may not know it today because if you look at Egypt today, I know when I was in Egypt some years ago, they're very proud of their history and God bless them. That's okay because each nation has their own heritage and they're, and they're very proud. And we went to the Cairo Museum, which is one of the great museums of the world going way back in history, right? And we went to the Sphinx and to the pyramids and, you know, to some of the buildings and all, and they're all falling apart. But they're so proud of their, their history. But Egypt was the great world empire in Moses' day. Greater than, because we don't have one world empire today. We have nations that would like to be, right? But we don't have one. But Egypt was it. Wealth, army, economy, education, culture. Medicine even. I mean, they were advanced in medicine. Probably in in some areas higher than we even are today. They were not cavemen. Like you might think from your history classes in school. And so Moses is growing up in the palace. How would you like to grow up in a palace? All kinds of servants. All kinds. He never had to worry about having Social Security when he retired, right? He didn't have to worry about where his next meal was going to come from. Didn't have to worry about where his clothes were going to come from. Didn't have to worry whether who's going to pay for my education because it was all paid for by Pharaoh. And, and Egypt, because it was the great empire in that day and controlled that big region of the world and was big in trade... That's where they made a lot of their, I mean, they traded with China through the China Silk Route, you know, but we're going way, we're talking about ancient history here. Egypt, as we look at it now from the New Testament perspective, is a picture of the world system because that's, they are the world system. They, they controlled 
everything, the thinking of the world in that region, and God was not in any of their thoughts. They had gods with a small g, that whole pantheon of them. And, and the Lord does battle with them in the ten plagues of Egypt, right? Each of their gods is dealt with. But they had a lot more of them than, than ten. But God, the true and living God, wasn't even in the picture. Does that sound like the world that we're living in today? If you went to any university, we got some university reps here, we're glad, glad to have them here. But if you go to any university, and you go to any school, and you do, and history, and is God given any credit? He, he's operating this whole creation. Is he given any credit for it? Is he, do they give him any credit? Yeah. I mean, like he doesn't exist. And yet their next breath is in his hands. Think of it. Think of how illogical that is. Let alone rebellious for a creature to do that with their creator, right? So verse 11, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. He's 40 years old. He's definitely grown. Then he went out to his brethren and he looked at their burdens. Now I'm calling this second, we've moved out of divine superintendence to now Moses' decision. You know, when it comes to God and your relationship with him, eventually you are going to make a decision. You say, well, I, I don't go, I don't, I don't do those things. I don't do the religious thing and you know, this gospel thing that these Christians talk about. I don't know about. You're making a decision. <laughs> you're still making a decision. You're responsible to make your own decisions, right? As an adult. And you're making a decision. If you're, if you're rejecting him, that's a decision. If you're receiving him, that's a decision. If you're putting it off, that's a decision too. And guess what? It's on you. <laughs> you can't, you can't punt that one away and say, no, that's my coach. That's my teacher. That's my parent. You don't know what kind of household I grew up in. You can't punt it away. You can't put it on the politicians. Can't put it on Governor DeSantis or anybody. It's on you. This is what God does. He says, you know what? I made you, human being, in the image and likeness of God. See, we today, we make God in our likeness. But the Bible says, no, no, we're made in his likeness. So we never steal away from a human being the privilege of making their own choice, Right? Making their own decision. We try to inform them. We try to encourage and exhort, right? But it's their decision. So Moses is making a decision here. Now, we know the story here, right? He, he doesn't make a, a good one in how he carries this out. But to inform us about his heart at this particular time, Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit gave us Hebrews chapter 11? <laughs> so turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 because all these centuries later, God tells us what was in Moses' heart. Way down in the book of Hebrews. You see how we say that we want to be children of all 66 books of the Bible, the whole 
counsel of God, Paul says, when I was, he told the Ephesian elders, when I was with you, I unloaded the truck. I gave it all to you. I didn't hold back, say, well, some of this information about God I'm going to hold for myself, and then other parts of it I'm going to hold for Timothy and my team, right? And then you might get some of the other out. No, no. He unloaded everything. God wants to do that. And we want to be children of all 66 books. So we come to the book of Hebrews in verse 24. And we find out that there are five verbs here that describe how Moses arrived at his decision. Wouldn't you want to know that? I'd like to know that. Moses, how did you get there, man? Well, here it is. Verse 24, by faith... Moses, when he became of age. Now, that's the same phrase we just saw way back in Exodus 2, verse 11, right? He became of age. When he became of age, what did he decide in verse 24? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, think about that, how big a decision that was for him refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You know what he's pushing away? All the privileges. In fact, he was possibly, we don't know for sure, but possibly in line for the throne to be a Pharaoh. We don't know because there's a lot of details that go on with the selection of the Pharaohs as they move on through their various ancestries. But he was certainly in, in a place. He's, in other words, he's, he's saying, you know what? The palace, all the servants, all the luxury, all the privileges, all the people bowing down before him when he walked down the streets, you know. Now, when you came to Christ, you refused something too. <clears throat> you may not have been aware of it at the time. But you refuse something too. You, you probably didn't refuse a palace, right? I don't think any of us would. I don't know every individual, so I don't want to take it away from you. Maybe some of you were royalty, and I didn't know it. Mal, well, you, you may have been royalty. I don't know, down in Miami. But, <clears throat> no, I know Mal. He and I were poverty. We weren't royal. <laughs> but uh, whatever it was, do you regret it? Dear child of God, do you regret refusing whatever it was you were clinging to before you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior. I hope you don't regret it. And that's what this process we're talking about of being enamored with God helps us to do. Because as we grow closer to the Lord and get to know Him better, we we get to looking back at our old life and say, why did I even cling to any of that? What a waste of time compared to Him. The greatest person in the whole universe, Jesus Christ, and, and, and all of my friends and all of my interests back then, nothing when I really see him for who he is. Amen? So, how did Moses get there? See, these, when we study the Bible, these are the kind of questions we ask the text. And sometimes we get an answer from the text, and we always get our answers from the text. I know you're big on that. Get our answers from the text. We don't invent things. We don't put things onto the text. But how did Moses get here? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. 
but we can piece together. Jochebed had him for what? For that time of weaning. They say it's up to four years old sometime, but maybe back then it was seven years old, but somewhere in that range. I mean, you sisters don't listen to the world. <laughs> the world says you need to become a man to become valuable. Some of you sisters think that, not all of you. And so you jettison your role as a woman, which Timothy tells us in First Timothy 2, that your fulfillment is building into children. You say, well, I did, God didn't give me children. Or God didn't give me a husband. Well, that's what we have Sunday school teachers. We'd love to, right? We can take, we can take single sisters that want to serve in the Sunday school or, or VBS or different ways. There's lots of ways that, that a single sister can be valuable with children. But God wired you for that. Way better than us brothers. And you think about it, what Paul's saying to Timothy is, you know what, you sisters are responsible for the next generation of children of God. Why? How? Because you're the primary influence and teacher of the children for the first, whether you want to say seven years, I'll take it all up to 13, because the men don't really get involved till usually youth group, right? And they're teenagers. So uh, anywhere between 7 and 13 years. The whole whole personality is formed by then. And you sisters are the ones that have that. Not us brothers. The whole personality gets formed. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the whole life direction is set. They're calling for what particular occupation. They learn that already in their first 7 to 13 years. Fascinating study. And you sisters are the primary influence. Don't minimize your role in function. Don't let the world give you the value system for that. So Jochebed, must, she, she must have taught him about the Abrahamic covenant, right? Because here he knows about it. She must have taught him about Messiah, going back to Genesis 3.15, because he knows about it. And he, enough to, to give up everything, refuse to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he knows that that means all privilege is gone. May I say, and I say it respectfully, I think I'm pretty accurate on this. No one in this room gave up as much as Moses gave up when you came to Christ. Now, I may find out different if you inform me, and I'm open to that. But this man gave up a lot. And yet, look at how God used him. You see the picture? Whatever you think you're giving up to come to Christ, what what does Paul call it in Philippians 3? Rubbish. Compared to knowing him. And that's the mindset we want to have, right? So that's the first thing. Verse 24. Secondly, in verse 25, choosing, again... Decision, right? Choosing rather to do what? To suffer? If you knew identifying with Jesus Christ and asking Him to be your Savior was going to cause for you to suffer affliction, would you have still done it? (laughs) I hope you would have. I hope you would have. 
This is a big choice too, isn't it? And this isn't masochism. That's what the world says. Oh, you, you know, you love affliction, you love suffering, you love persecution. No, no, we don't. We don't ask for it. We don't pray for it. I hope. I hope you don't pray for that. Um, but we know we we come to the gospel informed that we may have to suffer for the gospel when we identify with Jesus Christ and the world has rejected him then they're going to not be so happy with us either, right? And the Lord said that in the upper room in John 15. If they hated me, what do you think they're going to do with you? Right? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You see, the Bible's so honest. God doesn't say there's not pleasure with sin. Now, the devil the devil gives us that on the billboards and on the internet and on TV and everywhere he can. He, the pleasures of sin, never the consequences of it, right? Always the pleasure. It's going to feel good. Never, you know, after the fact, uh, now you're going to make a decision about abortion or now you're going to have to do this. And now you're gonna, they, don't, they don't have to tell you that. But notice what he says about the pleasures of sin. They're temporary. They're passing away. Moses saw that. So whatever we were clinging to in our life before we were saved, whatever we thought was it, was everything, right? Whatever it was, a hobby, a a sport, a career, educational direction, whatever it was that you just clung to and said, this is my whole life, this is me. I hope you've thrown that off for Christ. And seeing the big picture. That's what he saw, right? He's looking way down. Not just at his little 40, 80, 120 years. None of those. None of us is going to get 120. I'm pretty sure of that. But we might get 80. Or a little over past 80, some of them. Joe and Mary Eccles said to say hi. By the way, I saw them last week. And they've both gone past that threshold. But they know it, too. They know. They take each day as a gift from God. To suffer affliction with the people. You notice the contrast here? Suffer affliction, pleasure. In our world today, which most sociologists agree is totally hedonistic. You know what hedonism means? It means lovers of pleasure. It's the word that's used by Paul in 2 Timothy 3 to characterize the last days, right? They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Hedonists. And Moses realized, you see his value system? His value system is being altered by God, by the word of God. Verse 26 esteeming, another verb, the reproach of Christ. What is the reproach of Christ? The cross, right? Galatians 6. And and 1 Corinthians 1. It's a reproach to the world, right? What do you mean? Your Savior came and He died on a cross? That's for criminals. What's so... How can you appreciate someone like that? You can appreciate someone like that if you should have been on that cross forever dying for your sin. Because just a few hours 
in the daytime wouldn't be enough for you or me in our sin. It would be a whole eternity of it. How would you like that? And yet he was willing, God was willing to do that for you and me. Meditate on that some. This is the God we love and serve. You would do that? That, That's what Paul struggled with. He said, Jehovah can't uh, he can't have anything to do with sin. And he, Paul was partly right. You know what I mean? In him is no darkness ever at all. And yet he became sin for us. Who knew knows? Tis mystery all. But that's where the love of God comes in. So he realized the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Ooh. And he had them, or had access to them. All the treasures of Egypt, he said, they're over here. The reproach of Christ over here. Boom! And the scales, this goes weight. (laughs) Exceeding weight of glory, right? Esteeming reproach of Christ. There's greater riches than, for he looked to what? Way down. You realize what he looked to is still future for us? 3,500 years ago? This man had some insight. You look back in our day, and when I took philosophy at Loyola, you know, looking at all the different philosophers, and they, some of them like to look way down. There were Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and all of them. They missed the boat compared to him. He saw past all that and he said, you know what? There's going to be a day of reckoning. Because God is holy. And he's not going to let this go on forever like this. He's going to bring every human being to account. And there's going to be rewards for those who trust his son. He's looking to the reward. How about you and me? Right? Big picture. Big picture guy. But not only that. By faith he forsook Egypt. You kind of get the picture that that's where it's headed, right? Because he's already set aside the treasures of Egypt. He's already set aside the privileges of being the in Pharaoh's family, right? That Harlow is beautiful. Thanks for bringing her out here. And and all of that, And but he just forsook Egypt completely. The whole view of Living for this life alone. Oh, think of it. I mean, i got to be careful here. I want to use words that are respectful words, right? But it, I was going to use the word dim-witted, but that's not a good word these days, I guess. But what kind of thinking is it for a human being? You were made in the image and likeness of God. You're going to live eternally in one of two places according to the word of God. Right? You're going to live eternally in one of two places. And you know that. You know how I know you know that? Because the Bible says that God put eternity in your heart. For the unbeliever and the believer. That's in Ecclesiastes 3, I think verse 10 or 11. That's why we can't get it out of our mind and our conscience, this relationship with God that we need. He forsook Egypt. 
not fearing the wrath of the king. Ooh, man, this man was a man of faith. Because you know what? After he killed that Egyptian, the king was going to kill him. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is. Now, you, you see the, how do you see the invisible? You know how to do that? How do you see the invisible? This is one of those, we call them conundrums, is that what we call them in the Bible? Things that we can't resolve in our minds and our limited thinking. How do you see what's invisible? By faith. Same way you and I see it. By faith. I've not seen Jesus Christ. I've never seen a crucifixion. You probably haven't either. But by faith, I believe that when this man died 2,000 years ago on a cross outside Jerusalem, and I've been to the place. I've been to the place where it happened. I've been to the place where he was buried. So there's, I got a little bit of an advantage there maybe over some of you to, to actually. But still, in the end, I can't prove. It's by faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? A vision? The word of God. I believe the same scripture you did. Maybe not the same verse, but the same scripture, word of God, you did. You were born again through the incorruptible word of God. So Moses, my, he, he, you have a different view of Moses now after seeing what the writer of the Hebrews says about him? This man in I put him in a whole in a league all by himself. <laughs> I mean, we know a lot about Abraham, but we don't know near as much about Abraham as we know about Moses. And Abraham gave up some things too, but I don't think he gave up anything like what Moses gave up. But then we come back to the story. So we insert that here between verse 11a and 11b. In other words, in the middle of verse 11, that's where this account goes. So we come back to Exodus chapter 2 for a couple of minutes. And Moses, I think he recognizes that God wants to use him to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery, suffering, in some kind of way. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he knows the details of how it's going to work out. But he knows that he's going to use him. But what does Moses do? He says, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. Anybody here ever done that? <laughs> I've done it more than once. Unfortunately, right? When you come to know the Lord as Savior and you, and you have a role and responsibility to serve Him and you think you know this is it, this is the way He wants you to go and you're so convinced that this is it and it turns out it isn't it. And you got to retract, trace back your steps, right? So Moses knew he was going to be the deliverer, but he was going to do it his way, not God's way. And the same is true for you and me. If you're going to serve the living God, you're going to do it surrendered to him, doing it his way, beloved, not your way. Because his ways and his thoughts... Isaiah 55, right? Higher than the heavens. I mean, we were at 40,000 feet last weekend coming back from, from Dulles Airport. And it was neat. You know, I could see the ionosphere, you know, it's what, about 20,000 feet higher than somewhere in there. 
But his way higher than that. You go past the Milky Way in the solar system. God's thoughts and ways. You see, and so Moses suffers a temporary, I said temporary, setback. And if you haven't suffered a setback in your Christian life, you're probably not doing much for God, right? Because if you're serving the Lord, you have an old nature, you've got Satan working again, you've got the world system working against you, you're going to make some bad decisions, right? And, and they can be setbacks, but they don't have to be permanent. God wants them to be temporary setbacks, like here. And so we're going to learn from Moses. He goes off to Midian, just becomes a shepherd. You know what? He gets over there and he's there 40 more years before God appears to him with a burning bush. And it looks like, we're going to come back to this tonight. I hope you can come out tonight. It looks like Moses has given up on the whole idea of delivering his people. Five times he puts the Lord off about calling to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. Can you relate to that too? I can relate to that. When you've suffered rejection from the people of God, it hurts. And you get bitter. And you sometimes put it in neutral, boom, and park it and say, I ain't doing anything anymore for God. You ever been there? Well, you can learn from Moses too, just like I can. You don't have to let it be a permanent setback. Because God is gracious. You know what? God already knew what he was going to do with Moses. Now Moses doesn't know what's coming. (laughs) He doesn't know about the ten plagues that we know about because we've read ahead. He doesn't know about the Red Sea crossing because we know about it. We've read ahead. He doesn't know that at a point in on Mount Sinai he's going to say, Lord, show me your glory. He doesn't know that yet. We know that because we're going to march in that direction. But he's going to be such a point when he gets to be there receiving the law. He says, Lord, I'm just so enamored with you. I want to see your glory. And God enables him to see as much as he's able to in that dispensation. And let me ask you, as I ask myself, do you have a desire To see God that kind of a way in your life? You say, well, I'm not Moses. God's not going to call me to deliver his people. No, I'm not Moses either. And I'm not going to be called to Egypt to deliver anybody. I may not even be called to the mission field. You may not either. But whoever you are, dear child of God... He has a place, position, role for you that's very, very special. And it's special because of who he is. Special because of who's called you and who's equipped you and who wants to use you for his glory. And I, my prayer for us this week in these studies is that we would be touched with that desire that Moses... When you, when you see how he puts off the Lord here in the next chapter, 
You would wonder how he got to the place in Exodus 33, show me thy glory. But it's the same person. You see what hope that holds out for you and me? Failure? He murdered somebody. And God didn't throw him overboard. You and I might. He didn't throw him overboard. He says, no. I got a plan for you, Moses. And if you'll yield to me, I'm going to use you in it. And he did. And wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wants to use you too. Whoever you are. Come to Christ. Receive him as Savior. Stop trying to do it yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't free yourself from the chains that have got you in bondage. Only God can set you free, and he wants to, if you'll let him. So, Father, we thank you for these studies, and we pray, Lord, that you'll work in each heart that's here this morning. Maybe someone's here, Lord, that they haven't heard the gospel or heard it clearly, and maybe they don't know how much you love them. Maybe they don't know how much they're in bondage either to sin or to, to a, an attitude of heart or lifestyle that's so dangerous for them and so self-destructive. But you can set them free. You can let them see it and point them to the Lord Jesus, that beautiful Savior. And uh, we're praying for that. And for all of us who know you as Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll draw us nearer to appreciate you and value you and treasure you in a way we never have before. For your glory. To be with us as we part and have a time of lunch and fellowship together. Bring us back tonight. We give you thanks, Lord, for all your consistent goodness and faithfulness. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen.